Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, CLB. And this week we're joined by Keith Barry. How are you, lads? What's up, Keith? All good, all good. You look a bit nervy there. The foot's gone. You make me nervous. My foot goes regardless, um, but you make me nervous. Well, they shouldn't. Look, do you know what? I won't. Uh, here's the thing being a brain hacker, because that's what I do, right? Is that people get a bit nervous when they're around me because they think I'm hacking their brains the whole time. But actually, truth be told, unless you actively focus on something that you kind of want me to hack, then you can relax. I'm not turned on all the time because it takes too much energy for me to be constantly hacking brains. Could you imagine if you were able to listen to every single thought simultaneously around the world? It'd drive you mad. So you can relax. I'm not hacking your brain just yet. So you're saying to me, regardless, like, you could hack my brain. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I do, right? Like, that's right. real. We did it on stage, that's all. Yeah, yeah, remember? yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. And I, I still don't know how you did it. Mm. Like, there's no inkling. No, I mean, look, for me, it's a multitude of different techniques. So when people ask me what it is that I do, it's a lot of different things combined. So, for example, when I was 14 is when I started studying hypnosis. I've been doing magic since I'm five. So magic since I'm five, hypnosis since I'm 14, then studying psychology since I'm 18. And combining all those different areas together then, sometimes I hack brains for fun, sometimes I hack brains to help people get over stress, anxiety, depression, whatever it is. Uh, and then a lot of the times now my work is with athletes. So I've worked with a whole bunch of our rugby players and I work with a lot of business people to bring them to peak performance. So it's a lot of different things combined. So you can hypnotize them to kick a conversion? And hit between the posts. And well, let's just say, like, I might have worked with Johnny Sexton in the past, you know, and that might be a little bit of an exclusive for you guys. I might not have talked about that before. So, we'll yeah, I might have, worked, around today. Might, might have worked with Johnny and I've worked with Keith Earls. He's spoken a lot about the work that I've done with him. And ultimately, yeah, like, what's really interesting is creative visualization under hypnosis in sport is a real thing. And it's actually scientifically proven to bring people towards peak performance. So, the most famous study is probably the Chicago basketball study where they took three teams of equal ability. They told one team to sit out training, like do nothing, like don't train at all for a month, right? <laughs> then another team, they said, sit out training, but creatively visualize under hypnosis. So they did this kind of trance experiment. So under hypnosis, the whole team, every day, they would have to train, but just in their brain. So they would sit out training, but in their mind, they would see themselves scoring the three points every single time. And then the other team trained as normal. So the team one who sat it out, nothing happened. So their ability didn't increase or decrease, just nothing happened. The team that sat it out and creatively visualized themselves performing the task of scoring the, the points every time, their ability went up by 23%. So that's actually huge, right? Just by sitting there and thinking of the action. And then the team that went about their business as normal, they increased by 24%. So the point here is there was only 1% difference between the team that creatively visualized the task and the team that actually did the task. So, you know, there's been other studies as well with bodybuilders. I think over the course of a month, this group of bodybuilders, they increased their muscle mass by 13.5%, but they didn't train. They just trained using their head. So it's really fascinating to me what we can use our minds for and how deep that can go for, I suppose, lots of different ailments, if you want to call them that, that are out there at the moment, you know? Right, we've a lot to grant Will we pull it back and go from the start then? You said you grinned the magic when you were five, Keith. Yeah. So 
what we do is we go back to the start with Rolla, I guess. Mm. So, what's your name, where'd you come from, and what was life like growing up? So, take us from there. So, Keith Barry, I come from Williamstown in Waterford, and I had a pretty normal childhood, I think. A very happy childhood. Like, my dad is my best friend even now, and we have great times together. My dad and my mum worked hard, so my dad worked in Waterford Crystal at the time. That was kind of, like anybody in Waterford, Pretty much their parents worked mod for Crystal, yeah. like, you know. And uh, my mum worked as a cleaner and I have one sister, Michelle. She lives in the States, so she left when she was 17 for the US. And yeah, it was, but I, you know, I have very fond memories. We had a, about a, probably a quarter of an acre of land and a, we were living in a bungalow. So, you know, the lads used to come around after school. We always had dogs out in the BMX bicycles, just out every day, all day. And we do things like find these dilapidated old houses. We used to call them haunted houses. And we go in and just muck around in those. And I'm talking about the age of eight, nine, ten. And then I was transferred to Mount Sinai Secondary School in Waterford City Centre. Actually, sorry, I was transferred into fifth standard in primary school. I found that really hard, that transition. So, you know, I was bullied from then all the way through until the end of secondary school. So I found that hard, but magic kind of alleviated that, I suppose, you know, doing magic in school and then doing magic outside of school and having like good friends outside school. But I found school tough. It was a real tough, rough school I was in. Like mm. you're only just trying to not get stabbed was basically it. And people would say, really? I'm like, really? Like, you know, you were just, you'd put up with what you had to put up with. And look, I could have fought back and all the rest of it because I was a pretty strong guy. But the problem is you'd have a gang of 10 lads waiting outside school for you, yeah. uh, ready to beat you up. So I had to just kind of put up with it for those years, you know. So you went into magic when you were five. Mm. How does that come about? Got a Paul Daniels magic set. So you guys probably don't know. Do you know Paul Daniels? Oh. Ever heard of him? Yeah. So that shows my age. So I'm turning 47 next week and... I got a Paul Daniels magic set. So Paul Daniels was the number one magician on television in those days. So back in the, kind of in the early 1980s, he had his own TV show every Saturday night on BBC. And pretty much everyone of my age and a little bit older and a little bit younger, everybody would have sat in and watched this show, right? It was kind of the only hip show at the time. So I got a Paul Daniels magic set and that changed my world because I just started performing with these little plastic tricks that you get in any magic set and the magic kind of bug bit. So every year after that, I get a magic set at Christmas. And then when I was 14, though, I went to, uh, on a school tour to Scotland, to Edinburgh, and I got a, a book in a magic shop over there called The Klutz Book of Magic. And I learned every trick out of that book. And then I immediately started performing out and about in Waterford. So at 14, I just got into the public eye and just started to learn the trade, the craft, whatever you want to call it, of magic. And then it kind of snowballed on from there, you know. And then what age you said hypnotizing people then? Yeah, so I got a, a pamphlet on hypnosis called Practical Hypnosis by E. Wolf. So I learned what hypnosis was from this book and I was really fascinated. Like, it's like everybody, right? I mean, you don't know what this is. You go, does this really work? Like, I'm sure you probably think that even now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and many people out there, their only familiarity with hypnosis is maybe seeing a bad wedding hypnotist, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's really it. So for me, even then, I kind of questioned it and then I just started to try to do it. And I did it, tried to do it loads of times. It didn't work. But the one time it worked, was in our Irish class in Mount Sinai. I was sitting next to a guy, David Burke is his name. And I managed to stick his hand to the desk and he couldn't move his hand off the desk. And he genuinely couldn't move. And then I made him into a chicken in front of the class. And everybody thought it was hilarious because nobody really knew what was going on. And he got detention. And the interesting thing here is I then gave him the pamphlet on hypnosis 
and he learned hypnosis from the pamphlet. And then after school, even though we were still friends, like we kind of didn't see each other because I lived in Galway and he lived in Waterford. But ultimately, here we are all these years later. He's a professional hypnotherapist down in Waterford now. So that one day changed the trajectory of both of our lives because I knew hypnosis was real. He knew it was real because I'd done it on him. Mm. And he took that pamphlet. He never gave it back until years and years later. I was on the Late Late Show and he happened to be in the audience. He sneaked into the audience and he gave back the pamphlet to me. He'd found it in the attic. So I have it back now. But yeah, that was when I started to learn hypnosis and then it escalated on from there. I trained under Tony Sadar. So Tony's great. Tony's 83 or 84 and he's still working out of his office in Camatili. So I trained under him as a professional hypnotist and then became a member of the National Guild of Hypnotists in America. And then, you know, just learned the craft and trade over years and years of doing it. It's a legit profession. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of those things that I think years ago people might have scoffed at. Now people still are skeptical about it because they don't understand it. But there's solid science behind it. I mean, it's it's easy to describe what actually happens because people wonder what is it, right? So right now we're in beta brainwave thinking, right? You're cognitive, you're aware, you listen to my words and so on. And that's our conscious mind in action. And what I need to do is bring people from brainwave uh, state, brainwave frequencies, down into what's called alpha-theta. So alpha-theta is slowing those brainwaves down so I could bypass the conscious mind and enter into the subconscious mind and tweak whatever needs to be tweaked in your subconscious mind. And that's where the fun lies for me. You can get people over fears, over phobias, over anxieties, over stress. I mean, do you want to know if you can be hypnotized or not? I have a test for you both. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, so um, I had a couple of questions about this, right? So when I heard that you were coming in, the first yeah. thing I said to Terence was, "We need to get him to try and hypnotize it to stop smoking." Yeah, right? who smokes? He yeah, smokes I'm chronic smoker. Like if oh. you smoke, spoil you were sitting in the reception there. Oh, I didn't notice because here's the thing: I can't smell smokers. Yeah, because I was born. It's not a COVID thing. I was actually born, and not many people notice about me. I was born with no sense of smell. Look, I can't smell anything at all. I ever. was wondering why there was so a smell you, off you then. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So wait, uh, you can't never smelt. No, you've nothing. never smelt a Sunday dinner. Nothing like the what? The, ki- the kids, the kids. My kid, I've got two kids. They're 15 and 11 now. And you were changing and all the nappies, weren't you? Yeah, well, no, yeah. I'd have one of them under under my arm yeah. when they were young, right? And the missus would be upstairs and she'd be screaming down at me, Kate, would you change the child's nappy? And I'm like, why? Well, Jesus, can you not smell that? And she knew I couldn't smell. So I'd open up the nappy and sure enough, the, the kid needed, uh, one of my kids needed changing. But ultimately, yeah, I can't smell, so I can't smell smokers. But yeah, I can I can get people off cigarettes. Right. Uh, so we'll do this off air, right? Because it takes a while, right? Yeah, that's that. And then... Yeah, hey, we'll be coming back to that then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I, I, but sorry, I know you're getting into something there, but I thought like, see with that hypnotising to get mm. people off smoke, so I thought that was like a placebo thing. But then I'm like, I actually have a nicotine addiction. And yeah. there's actually people stopping. Well, well there's a, so there's a lot of different things going on with smoking, right? I mean, here's the first question. Do you know, and nobody's ever known this, by the way, even though it's freely available on Google or whatever, right? Do you know what the number one use for nicotine was before it was used for cigarettes? No. No, so most people don't, right? It was used as a, a weed killer over in the States, right? But it was so successful at killing the weeds in America as a pesticide, it brought down the insect population, which brought down the bird population. So they banned it. <laughs> they banned it. It was so good at killing killing things, right? So that was the number one use for it. Uh, And then they put it into cigarettes, of course, and then they put everything else into cigarettes. But here's the interesting thing. Like, nicotine only stays in your system, some people say 24 hours, but it's definitely maximum 72 hours. So if you manage to stay off it for three days, 
you've got a really good chance at succeeding. So the actual addiction part of the physical withdrawals, and then after that, it's the habit. And that's all in your head. So even though people think they're having cravings, even though that's not physiological, that's psychological after 72 hours. Smoking, yeah. Look, I'm smoking since I'm probably 12, 13, 14, around that age, yeah. But I can remember even before, I can remember as a kid, I've always loved the smell of smoking. Mm. And even I stopped smoking for six months. And during that six months, all I did, I didn't like have withdrawal cravings, but all I wanted to do was smoke. Yeah. Even when I'd be walking down the street, someone would be having a smoke, I'd be getting that smell of smoke and I'd love it. Like there's something that might be. But, but see, that, so what you need to do is when that happens, so I understand this completely. I actually did stop smoking seminars for a couple of years. So I have like 400 people at a time in like a theater or hotel or whatever and I'd get them off the cigarettes. So what happened with you there is you managed to get off them, yeah. right? But you still had that trigger that you wanted to have one. And what you have to do is replace that trigger with a different trigger. So there's triggers and anchors in the hypnotic world. So like we all have triggers. So even though I could never remember what a smell was, right? Like a lot of people remember, if I say to you, like remember the smell of freshly baked bread. A lot of people will remember, ah, yeah, I remember my granny used to make freshly baked bread and that reminds me of my granny and so on. So that's what a trigger and an anchor is. So with you is, uh, you know, the pleasure, if you like, if you want to call it that, of the smoking is still there, even though you're off them. So when you're smelling that, that triggers that off and because that anchor is there the I whole time. I think we're onto something there. Did your dad yeah. used to smoke? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we could be onto something there? Why? Because my ma smoked. Yeah, but maybe that smoking smell reminds you of that subliminally. Do you reckon that's what that could be? He lost could his be. dad when he was really young. Yeah, so that, it could be that. But, but as far back as I can remember, like, yeah. do you know, like, I have no uh, memories of being, like, what age can you, what's your age, your first memory? I can remember being, do you know what, Ray, so this is complicated. I can remember remembering, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I remember years ago, someone asked me this, but I would have probably been about 16, and I remembered, I remember my dad pushed me in a pram in a certain part of town. Yeah? Yeah. But I don't know if I remember that in detail, but I remember remembering that, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, look, memories are kind of interesting as well, what's your, right? What's your, what age, can you, what's your earliest age of remembering them? Yeah, I, I have it exact in my mind. Now, there's a couple of different things going on. I'll tell you what it is, though, uh, the memory in a second. I actually have a really good memory when I f- choose to focus and remember something. So, like, w- when it comes to text, scripts, stuff like that, I can memorize them real fast, almost like photographic style. But when it comes to past memories from my childhood, I'm kind of like you. I find them difficult to remember. Like, my dad might say to him, do you remember the time we went down to Dingle when you were around nine in the caravan? And I just go, no. And he's like, you don't remember any of the full week? We were there, I was like, no, <laughs> I don't remember any of it, but I can remember my first memory. So my first memory was, I was probably about, f- I must've been three or four. And my mum was putting me into play school and it was run by nuns at the time. And I, I remember my mum put me in there and I just didn't want to go in. And one of the nuns, because I was trying to get out, one of the nuns lifted me up off the ground. And dare I say it, I kicked the shins off the nun. <laughs> That's my earliest ever memory, screaming, bawling, crying, mm. trying to get out of play school. And but, then I, I ended up loving the play school. So I don't hold, hold that against me, mum, if she's listening, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, so that was my earliest memory. I can't remember probably before eight or nine. Like, not, when I say zilch, Nothing is in my head. Yeah, that's cognitive decline from the cigarettes. So that's just only going to get worse unless you come off. What, me- help you. with me memory? <laughs> I was going to say, oh, fuck. Follow. My memory's getting worse. We're on to something, though, but we are going somewhere there. So he likes that, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter why he likes it. Yeah. I think we're going off topic there when I was saying something about mm. that. 
So where do we go from here? So we need to replace the fact that he likes the, the Yeah, pickle. so so I'm technically old school on this. There's a new mode of thinking when it comes to cigarette smokers, right? New mode of thinking is, you know, first of all, explain to the person how bad it is for them and then, you know, kind of gently coerce them off cigarettes under hypnosis. That's a way, that's a way a lot of uh, hypnotists would be doing it now. I don't know what their success rate is, but, you know, given my previous history with, with cigarettes, my success rate's very high. But when I hypnotize somebody, when I do this, it's full on. And what I mean by that is, like, I anchor you into somebody you really care about that you don't want to leave behind before it's your time to go. So in other words, you think about somebody in your life that you just know would be detrimentally affected by you leaving this world early. And then I actually get you to vividly imagine yourself in your coffin, dead, with everybody around you looking in on top of you. That's with, intense. With, <laughs> with cigarettes all over your face, with your puke and cigarettes out of your nose and all the rest of it. So it's shock therapy almost that I use. And that's kind of an old mindset uh, way of doing it. And a lot of hypnotists would disagree with doing it that way. But I've found massive success levels from it. But then I do anchor into you when, you, when you're walking around, the smell of smoke would just absolutely repulse you so I find out so for example what's one thing that you just would never want to eat like what's something you just can't stand or stand oh. either the taste of or the smell of the, oh, you eat everything. what's that those sweets from years ago yeah uh, oh boys little white sweets with like the red in the middle but like l kind of lions of oh yeah uh, yeah red, red stuff of, yeah I know what, I know uh, the ones you're talking about and they're, they're kind of like they're about that long aren't they the circle they are yeah. oh the circly ones yeah the circle speech with little red lines and yeah. oh can we yeah can I know what you're talking about they're like when the glass though aren't they yeah they give me migraines yeah. they give me if I ate one of them now I'd get an instant migraine boys they're a little cream. Yeah, and I know what you're talking about. Cream they're all white and the middle of it is red. Campino. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they <laughs> taste like strawberries. No, Calvin. Not to me, pal. <laughs> Don't know what they taste like to me. Campinos. If anyone knows Campinos, that's Just Google Campinos. Yeah, so I'd anchor in. I'd anchor in that the next time you go to have a cigarette, if it hits your lips, it'll taste like a Campino. Yeah, I would. So that you'd never want them. I think like I've had them a handful of times when I was a kid and every time I genuinely think I get a migraine off them or like I get sick off them. Yeah. So I wouldn't smoke. So you could reprogram his brain. To yeah, yeah. If he smokes, he's tasting that. Yeah, so like just so we're clearing this, I genuinely believe that anything psychologically, once there isn't a, a brain structural defect going on. What I mean by that is structurally that there's something perhaps some Maybe wrong with you haven't met yeah, But other than that, pretty much anything psychologically can be either helped or alleviated or cured using hypnosis. Hmm. You know, and I've just done so much of it myself. I've seen so many people doing some amazing things. With like, I'll give you an example, right? So here's a mad example. I was doing a lot of hypnotherapy at the time. I don't do as much of it now, by the way, because I'm just busy with other things, right? But while we're talking about it, uh, my wife had a terrible birth on the birth of our first child, Brianna. So it's just a horrendous birth. I won't bother getting into it now, but like, you know, her daughter got stuck. She ended up having a paralyzed arm, which is called Arab's palsy. She's fine now, but at the time she had a paralyzed arm for you know nearly four months, but it was a horrendous birth, very tra traumatic. So my wife, when she was having her son, Brayden, she said, I don't want to have the epidural. I don't want to go through all that again. So I said on a whim, lads, now imagine saying this, I actually said on a whim, because I was doing so much hypnosis at the time, I just said, Sure, I'll just, I'll just hypnotize you for the birth. Hypnobirth is a thing. I said, I'll hypnotize you and I'll anesthetize you from the waist down using hypnosis. And 
I actually look at it now and think that was like mad of me to even think that I could do that, right? So she said, yeah. But you have to understand, we then like mentally rehearsed, if you want to call it that, every night, half an hour every night in the six weeks in the run-up to uh, the birth. So every single night I would hypnotize her at home to get her into the mindset of using hypnosis as a pain management tool. And ultimately, uh, we did it. She had a hypnobirth with him, no epidural, no drugs, no gas, no nothing. And like, she'd be a big advocate now of hypnobirths for women out there who are interested in it because it just worked so well for her. But like, you know, it's crazy to think that you can actually anesthetize somebody from the waist down. I mean, they're doing open heart surgery in the US now using just hypnosis as the painkiller. Not in everybody, of course, but of people who are allergic to... Uh, you know, full-blown anaesthetic. There are uh, cases where they've used hypnosis. And there was a famous case there just a couple of years ago. There was a singer in France, I believe, and she was having problems with her vocal cords, but they couldn't put her to sleep because she was a singer. And whatever they needed to do to the vocal cords, if they hit or snipped the wrong area, it would have meant that she could never sing again. So it was that kind of a serious operation. So they chose to use hypnosis as the pain management for her. So she was talking through her operation oh awake God. while the hypnotist was there anesthetizing her neck for using just language. So it's fascinating well, what you can do. So you can switch up your pain receptors by just talking yeah. to someone. Yeah, so that's that, what that is. But that's a great like way just to put it because... But that's you know, exactly what's happening. Yeah, but but... When I knew I could definitely do it for real was right before Maria got pregnant the first time. So I'd been hypnotizing people on stage and off stage for years and years and years. And, uh, and hypnosis is just one aspect of what I do, by the way. But ultimately, I was in a big car accident in 2007. Mm. So I was coming back from a funeral. Uh, I was in a head-on car collision. And I looked down and my knee was broken and my tibia and fibia had disintegrated all the way down. So multiple fractures in both. And the metatarsals, which are the bones to your toes, they were broken. And my foot was wrapped up around my shin going the wrong way. And I was in Daisy Hill Hospital. And when I was in there, the trauma surgeon, Patrick Hyland McGuire was his name, he was trying to pull my foot back into its socket. And I kept, because of the pain, I kept tensing up my body and the foot kept popping back out of the socket, going wrapping up around my shin. And eventually he just stopped and he said, Keith, you're five minutes from amputation. I've given you all the, the pain management I can give you. He said, unless you can somehow stop the pain in your head, I'm going to amputate your foot. And I was lying there in flitters, like, and not knowing what to do. And then that was the first time I properly self-hypnotized myself and properly used my own techniques on me, even though I'd used them on other people for years. So that's whatever it is, 16 years ago now. And I actually self-anesthetized myself from the waist down. And that's when he popped my foot back in. They immediately put it in an open leg cast just to save the leg. Like, And then I was transferred up to the Royal Vic and I got rebuilt up there. Owen just sent me this key, yeah. A professional singer, Alain McCante, has sung through surgery to remove a tumour from her throat so surgeons could avoid damaging her vocal cords. The Ghanaian singer who was based in France was given just a local anaesthetic and hypnotised to help with a pain during the operation in Paris in 2015 yeah. from the BBC. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, so she was hypnotised yeah. to not be... But she, that's, that sounds mad, but it's even madder that I hypnotised my wife. I mean, our babies were big. Like, our daughter, <laughs> our daughter was like 10 pounds four. And my, and my wife's not big, like. She came out late at school. Yeah. This monster was, monster was, was coming out. Pounds, yeah. Wait, yeah. yeah, yeah. 10 pounds, a big, big yeah, baby. Yeah, 10 pounds four, and she was coming out. But like, the mad thing is like, at that moment then, there was a moment where I flipped from being the 
professional hypnotist into husband and I was just like, push, come on, this is it now, just push, come on, you know. Keith, before we got into all that, you said, did you want to find out if you can be hypnotized? You said, Oh you yeah, so yeah. there's tests you can give people. Yeah. And most people can be hypnotized, right? So very often people go, I don't oh. think I can, Keith. Yeah. Well, very often people say that. I don't I think, think I of anyone, I know, it's Terrence Bell can hypnotize. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the interesting thing is like, so. Why though? Sorry, Keith. Well, you're very susceptible. What's that mean? You just, you're very easy to treat. Open-minded, I'd like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're spiritually open-minded. Yeah. But, but here's the thing, right? The interesting thing about hypnosis is you only need kind of two or three things. You need imagination, you need to be open to being hypnotized, and you need average or above average intelligence, right? I, I think you just say that to make people think, like, look, you're smart because you can get hypnotized. Well, no, I can tell you why. I can tell you why. So very often people have this perception that only stupid people can be hypnotized. Yeah. Nothing could be further from the truth and I'll tell you why because stupid people can't follow instruction they can't follow even what I'm saying so therefore they can't be hypnotized because if they can't listen and focus on what I'm saying then they won't have the ability to be hypnotized the second thing is hypnosis if you think about it just in a general sense it really relies on the imagination of the participant the subject in order for them to change the neurology of their brain like they're not going to be able to change the neurology of the brain unless they can imagine things so that's why the imagination is needed so imagination intelligence and then the will to want to be hypnotized Mm. You can resist hypnosis. It's okay to say, I don't think I can be hypnotized. But if somebody goes, I can't be hypnotized, I'm like, well, congratulations. Good mm. for you. I don't even bother trying. I can't be hypnotized. I had a feeling that you'd be one of them. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No. Closed minded. But, but, <laughs> the, but the thing about it is you have to have the will and want to be hypnotized. Now, a lot of hypnotists will tell you you can't hypnotize somebody against their will. Yeah. That's actually not true. So you can, but it's only a small percentage of people. So I did a whole TV show on this one time. It's called Deception with Keith Barry. Did it over in the US. And on the fifth season, I think, or sorry, the fifth episode rather, I did a, a thing called Black Ops Hypnosis. And yeah. that whole episode was on whether you can hypnotize people against their morals and their values. Most hypnotists will say to you, I can't make you do anything silly or foolish against your will. I can't hypnotize you against your will. Da, 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 da. It's rubbish. I found out you can't through my... Did the Soviets not do this, Jordan? Yeah. Like the, yeah. This is how they have sleeper agents and stuff. Exactly. Like that. You ever heard about this? What? They hypnotized people against their own will. They didn't know that. But well, actually, wasn't it, well, it was the Soviets, but the Americans did it as well. Yeah, it was a big Cold War. Yeah, thing. yeah. And then, like, they'd play a certain show on telly, and in that, they'd say the triggering word for them. And, like, you'd be watching the show, they could say, and welcome to the Late Late Show, and you'd be like, right, I have to go and kill the president now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but see the way you're laughing, right? That's not a, it sounds <laughs> mad. <laughs> it's true. Am I, am I lying? So many... <laughs> but, but, but Terrence, I know you're laughing, but here's the thing, right? The project in America, oh, right? So I love all this stuff. No, no, but, the, the, but here's the mad thing. People out there who won't have heard What's of this. What's it called again? I know, I know exactly. But I'm going to tell you, uh, people out there need to go MKUltra. So uh, yeah, you just go, yeah. type in MKUltra. The American government got caught doing this. Yeah. So it was a completely secret, like, operation thing, uh, operation that they do. There was a secret investigation done into it. They caught them. It was a multi-gazillion euro or dollar project. And basically where they were doing it was they were taking people out of psychiatric institutions. They were giving them LSD and then they used hypnotists to program them to kill the president and kill this. And here's the thing, the guy who got locked up for the... The Unabomber. Uh, yeah, the Unabomber, the guy who got locked up for the assassination of JFK, they all say they were a part of MKUltra. What do they call like broadcast thinking or something like that? Is that where there's a... Remote viewing. Remote viewing, that's yeah. the word. So I know... Sleep! Here's the matter thing. Here's the matter thing, right? We didn't know we were going to get onto this today, right? No. We'd no... No, no script. script no. No, no. So here's the mad thing, right? 
I brought something to try and test one of you to see about remote viewing. So we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna do a remote viewing test in a minute oh, for the crack, right? Oh, yeah, but before we do that, we'll go we'll loop back to hypnosis yeah. for a second and then we'll try a remote viewing like kind of experiment in a moment. Because I brought something which could be interesting to you guys. So here's the thing. Put out your hands like this, right? And just interlock your fingers like that. Squeeze tightly together now, right? And put your hands up in front of your face, kind of like in like almost like prayer like position like this, right? <laughs> okay. Now out, focus like. on me. Don't look out there. Okay, look at me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Interlock your fingers. Okay, squeeze tightly together. Yeah. All right, put your feet in the ground so you're, <laughs> so you're nice and kind of relaxed, right? Okay, now look at me, look at me. Take a deep breath in and out. A first breath just to relax the giggles and all of the funnies that are inside your mind. Take another deep breath in and out. Good, and that second breath just to begin to relax your physical body. And one final deep breath in and out. That final breath now to relax the mind. Good. And just follow my instruction. Keep your eyes open. I want you to just extend your first two fingers like this. So there's an inch gap between them. Now stare at that gap. Don't look at me. Stare at that gap and imagine there's magnets on your fingertips. <laughs> pulling your fingertips closer and closer and closer together. That gap, I know it's weird. That gap getting smaller now and smaller and smaller. Adding stronger magnets now to your fingertips. As that gap gets smaller, the magnets get stronger and stronger and stronger. As the gap gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Good. Giving you another three seconds now for those magnets get stronger now and stronger and stronger. And two seconds, even stronger and one. Good. Okay, now let's keep your hands like that. Let's describe what happened, okay? So your fingertips were going there, mm. uh, Calvin, yeah? And you were trying to reach Resist, mm. even though you couldn't. So they went in it by what would you say about an inch? Yeah, because yours yours were quite wide. Yeah, they're very close together. Yeah, but they didn't go fully. Now Terence's went what? straight in, straight away, right? instantly, yeah. instantly. Yeah. Well, so, so it means you're both suggestible, but just on different levels, right? So here's another another one. Just lock your hands like this. Look, look. Just lock your hands tightly like that. Squeeze tight, squeeze tight, and stare at your hands. Now don't look at me. Just listen to my voice. Okay. Take a deep breath in and out, and every word that I say. And every gap between my words will just allow you to relax even more. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow's a new day. Right here, right now, just relaxing deeply. And as you focus on your hands now, imagine that I'm pouring a tub of superglue around your hands. And just notice that superglue as it begins to seep between your fingers into the palms of your hands, allowing that superglue to begin to stick your hands tighter and tighter and tighter together. That superglue now bonding and fusing, fusing and bonding your hands, your hands locking and squeezing tighter and tighter and tighter. So tightly stuck now, so bonded and so fused, in a moment when you test your hands, you'll find they are indeed stuck. It's almost like your two hands now are becoming one hand. Visualize that two hands melting together, becoming one hand. And in a moment when I can to three, you'll test and you'll find your hands just stay stuck, locked, bonded and fused. Here we go. One, two, three. Just slowly just try and unlock your hands and you'll find they stick even tighter and tighter and tighter. Now, Terrence's are stuck and yours are coming apart, but they're genuinely stuck, Terrence, yeah? Oh my God, you don't go. <laughs> and when I snap my fingers, you'll find they come apart. You'll be fine. Three, two, one. Unsticking your hands now. Oh my God, me but yours, yours uh, when you were taking them apart, you could feel that they were slightly See, When you were talking, yeah. I could feel me tending something up. Yeah. Tightening up. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm fucked here. 
Yeah. And what? when I was looking, it looked like my fingers were getting bigger. Yeah. So like that whole thing merging together, it looked like two fingers were becoming so one could you finger. imagine me with an hour with you to get give up smoke? I didn't like that. Five minutes, you have this fella doing whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, Fuck off, you are stuck as well. <laughs> you started to get stuck, but you came apart. But that, they're the tests that I give people, right? But both of you would have the ability to go into deep hypnosis mm. quite fast, actually. Mm. You know? So see that there? Mm. Yeah, obviously you're doing your talking yeah. stuff and all. Yeah? yeah, yeah. You're sitting across the room, you're not waving nothing in that no. face. And, how did my I, so obviously people that might end up being a clip or something that goes on social media, yeah? And people might go, ah, they're in on something, yeah? Mm. Like we we aren't. That's the thing, no. right? But if you were in on it, I would have kept my hands together. Yeah. yeah. But if I mean yeah, yeah, well that's it, yeah. My hands genuinely felt like they were stuck together there yeah. for a period of the time. Now what even when you said when you click your fingers, I was actually slowly getting them to move. Yeah, they were trying But my elbows here I felt like they were shaking. Yeah, yeah. And like they were stuck. And I genuinely like for a split second I, I was saying to myself, I'm stuck yeah. forever. Do you get me? You know that you know that fear. But I couldn't move my hands there. So what happens in an audience if I'm on stage? So like I do a lot of obviously theater shows. You saw me at your mm. live podcast where I like to, you know, just play with an audience. But when I'm on a stage, I'll test the whole audience, right? So out of an audience of like a thousand people or two thousand people, whatever it might be, like I'll find that, you know, like being absolutely honest with you now, out of an audience of a thousand people, I reckon about 60% of them so 600 people I could probably hypnotise the other 400 are like you know no use to me I couldn't use them ever but there's about 60% of every audience and out of 60% when I do that hands locked out of that 60% like there's a good 40% uh, so 40% of the whole audience 400 people will have their hands fully locked and the complete inability to unlock them. Now, I'll take a little bit longer than I did with you guys here to make sure that they're locked even tighter and get their imaginations more in. And then I just slowly and gradually bring them down into hypnosis, you know? Well, see, when, even when you were saying it, yeah? So you're doing your thing there where, yeah. you, where you're saying, like, the words are getting slower and slower. Yeah. In my head, I'm still trying to laugh, yeah? And I didn't want to yeah, laugh yeah. out loud. Yeah, yeah, So, like, there wasn't a stage of, like, where I felt like them words are, like, stuck in me because I was still trying to laugh, like. Yeah. And then when you said, like, separate your hands, I couldn't yeah. separate me from yeah, yeah. No, no. So don't get yeah, how it went into my head. Yeah, so it's conversational hypnosis. So it's basically waking trance. So I was slowing your brain waves down, even though you had the giggles and all the rest, by just slowing my own you words You stopped down. laughing. What was the crack there? I was just trying to concentrate. Oh, yeah, I, you yeah. to concentrate on it, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I got excited by that. Like, yeah, but even you, right, so you're, so if you rewound this podcast right now, I've mirrored both of you through this podcast. I've mirrored the way you're, not now, but the way your legs were moving, the way your arms were moving. So I settled especially your limbic system down. So did you notice that you relaxed as we were conversing, that you relaxed and the nerves kind of went away. They're heightened again now because of what just happened to you and you don't mm. understand it. But I was basically mirroring your body language and setting your cortisol levels down. So as a hypnotist, I have the ability to do that. When I slow my language down and when I get people to focus on even the spaces between my words now, you'll people, and you can see there's a change in my voice. It allows people to relax because the only way to hypnotize somebody is to gain trust. The only way to gain trust is to mirror body language and mirror language. So I notice whether somebody's a visual, a, an auditory or a kinesthetic thinker. So I change my language to that. So there's a whole system that I use to set the people's limbic systems down in order to then do something. With so it. you can't just analyzing people, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but like analyzing them in order to, for the most part, like just settle them down. People get nervy all the time around me, so I don't want them to feel that. I want them to feel settled and relaxed yeah. in my, you know, in my presence. Yeah. yeah. So my experience with hypnotists, so I've seen one or two, obviously when you're on holidays and yeah, leading, yeah. but where I put that down, because I would have been young, I put that down to that. They're drunk. So like, you know what I mean? They'll go on with it. And then one came to our college years ago, but I said this to you outside, Terrence. Yeah. He brought people up and I was one of them and he was like, now look, now the audience can't hear this, it's only the people that he's like, look, yeah. we're here for a good time. 
but let's give everyone a show. Let's make sure now everyone goes home happy. And you know, he's touching on the shoulder and all. And he's he's kind of reassuring you, like, look, this might not work, but that's okay. And I'm like, listen, mate, you're at the bringing all these a couple of hundred people in here. If you tell me there's a duck beside me, I'm going to go, ah, you know what I mean? So, so here's the interesting thing that you mentioned, right? I actually don't really do much stage hypnosis anymore. You know, I do more brain hacking and kind of the real fun factor what I do and get people to, to think of certain things and try to focus on thoughts and all that kind of stuff and then extracting those thoughts. But when it comes to hypnosis, you know, really what you're saying is actually kind of correct. There's a lot of different forms of stage hypnosis, right? So some stage hypnotists, I'll openly expose them because I think it's a bad thing to do. They use what's called stage whispers. So stage whisper is kind of like what you're saying. They'll have a handheld mic, mm. right? And I'll be like, so in, so this is what it would look like if I was doing it. I've never done it uh, because I'll tell you the other techniques that the good hypnotists use. So a bad hypnotist will do this. Hello, everybody. This is Keith Barry, and tonight we're going to have the most amazing, wonderful hypnotic experience for each and every one of you in this audience. Whoever would like to participate, come up on the stage. He brings him up on the stage. He does whatever, you know, whatever he wants to do with him, with a music bed underneath. But ultimately what he'll do is he'll drop down the mic as he turns back to them. So now the reason for the music bed is the audience at large can't hear me. They're just looking at me, looking at these people. And I've had or heard of stage hypnotists literally drop the mic down and say, this is my fucking show. I'm telling you all now, play along. Mm. This is my fucking bread line. And then he turned back to the audience going, now, as yeah. you focus on my voice and everybody on stage is just so petrified, they'll just do anything. Yeah, and that's right? the thing. Do you want to be like, Terrence is on the stage, say so we're all like, oh, I hope Terrence gets hypnotized. And Terrence been like, nothing's fucking changed. And your man be like, didn't walk on him, sit down. And everyone be like, fuck, I thought Terrence was going to give us a laugh there. So now the pressure is on you to perform, Terry. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if the fella says, you think you're a woman, you're going to be sitting there and like, oh, I'm a fucking woman. Ah, and everyone's laughing at you. And that eggs you on then. You know yeah, what I mean? But when you do it, in a real sense right so when I do it I do it in a real way that's why I test the whole audience multiple layers get people up where I know are suggestible right now I'll hypnotise them now here's the interesting thing let's imagine I have 20 candidates on stage I will tell you the exact stats on this and I've never heard any other hypnotist say it for real right so I'm giving you kind of like my real opinion on this so 20 people on the stage I'm going to tell you out of that 20 people I think 6 people are acting they're playing along right? They haven't gone into hypnotic trance at all. They're acting and they're playing along. But if they're good enough to fool an audience, I'll let them sit on the stage, right? Because it's a good show. So it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I've done my best to actually genuinely hypnotize them, but it hasn't worked, but they're acting, like what you said. Now, here's the other thing, though. So we'll say now we've got 14 people left. Seven of those 14 people actually are hypnotized, but they're not deeply hypnotized. So in other words, they're not cognitively aware of what they're doing, but they could pop out at any moment if they chose to. So there's a battle in them, in their own mind, between conscious and subconscious behavior. But I'm winning the battle. In other words, they're in a light hypnotic trance. They're pretty much in, in between alpha and theta brainwave state, which I mentioned earlier, right? However, this other seven people, I'm telling you now, I could create sleep rage instead of them. They're fully hypnotized, fully under my control. I could get them to do anything for real. No BS, no nothing, right? So, But there is different layers of what's going on out of those 20 people on stage. That's what I find fascinating. I haven't heard too many people talking about it, breaking it down like that. Do you know what I mean? Is that, you know, you're right on one sense. And what I never would do is use stage whispers or actors or plants or any of that. You wouldn't have longevity in your career. And I've seen a lot of guys actually come and go because they've used those techniques. But let's loop back to the, the kind of parapsychology thing for a minute because here's the mad thing, right? I found this at home, right? So this is a psychological ink blot test. You know yeah, these yeah. Rorschach ink blot tests? You say what you see kind of thing? Yeah, is yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. say what you see. Have you, have you seen these? No. Do you know, they show you a blob and you're like, what oh. do you say? You see a happy family? This is just a blob. 
Yeah, so this is like by the Institute for Psychological Research and Parapsychological Testing. So it's exactly what we're talking about. It's to test people for kind of remote viewing techniques and stuff, right? So here's the idea. So I don't know, there's probably 60 of these in here. But the interesting thing is there's infinite possibilities because whereas I might see one thing, you'd see something different and you'd see something different, right? So for example, I'll just open it up randomly. So there, so... Straight away when I look at that, I think of the first time that I saw fireworks, which is when I was 14 years of age. I was down on the quay in Waterford. I was with my mum, my dad, and my sister, Michelle. So I just think of a memory when I look at that. But when you look at that, what do you think of? What would I, So think of what it would remind you of from your past, for example. What do you see in that image? And if you don't see anything, just make something up as you see it. Just like allow something to come to your head. Paint blotches, blue paint okay, blotches. Okay, so if you were to think of blue paint blotches and you were to link that to a memory from your past, what are, would it remind you of? I don't know, water for some reason, I don't know, yeah. Yeah, that's good though. And then if you were to think of water, would you think of, I'm not going to lead you, but would you think of swimming or would you think of... Nearly drowning. Nearly drowning, see? Yeah. So immediately, infinite possibilities from one thing. What would you have thought of? I think of plates. Like it looks like a design on a plate. So would you thought of it like... As, that, a, as a display plate. Yeah, and then what would that remind you of from your past? Oh, couldn't tell you. Yeah, but you would take a moment to try and yeah. remember something, right? Trying to so might, it, yeah. might think of a dinner or something like that. But the point is, when you look at one of these, it has infinite... Because different things mean different things to different people. Some people here might see, I don't know, a brain. Or some people might see a head of an ant. That looks like, like a that. scan to me, yeah? Yeah, or a scan of some kind, right? Other people there might think, like, for example, if I take a moment to look at that, that kind of reminds me of uh, a set of <laughs> testicles, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. It looks uh, like Donnie Darko. Donnie, but Donnie Darko to see you. So anyway, you get the idea, right? There's loads and loads of possibilities. So here's the idea. In a moment, I'll hand it across to you, right? And you're going to just pull up and you're going to see one of the ink blots. And in your head then, you're going to try and see something. And in your head, you're going to try and link it to a memory from your past. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, so... I uh, thought you were going to say you were going to get the memory. I was going to say, that's impossible. <laughs> you're going to get what? <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were going to get the memory. I was going to say, that's impossible. Okay, but put out your hand like this. Put out your hand, left hand, okay? And in a moment, you'll put your thumb at the back. Don't flick and see loads of them and pick your favourite. Yeah. Like, literally just pull it up and see one, yeah. right? Cool. Okay, don't let me see. So pull it up now, which is the right thumb. Yeah. Pull up. Don't let him see either. Yeah. Okay, see just one. Yeah. Okay, got one? Done. Got, that was fast done. now. Done. Okay, done. I'll put that down. Done. Right. Done. Done. Now, if done. you can... Are you able to link that to a memory from your past? Just yes or no? No. Did you see something? Yeah, I seen something. Okay, yeah. just try and link it to a memory from your past. Try. Yeah. How far in the past? Anytime. Anytime. Any memory. Sound. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, got yeah. I have one, yeah. Right, like, he couldn't know, I couldn't know, right? No, you You're, wouldn't. Okay. And if you get this key, to tell you what. Okay, so look at me. Just focus on the memory from your past, okay? Yeah. And focus on whether you're inside or outside in this memory. Just focus on whether you're inside or outside. And imagine it here. Imagine a screen between us and imagine whether you're in. You're outside? Do you want me to tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were outside. Okay, I'm getting outside. Okay, I'm just trying to work with you right now. Uh, focus whether you're alone or with other people. You're with other people. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're outside. You're with other people. Look at me. It's not friends. I'm sensing this is more close. You're with family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. We're connected. Okay, now focus, <laughs> focus uh, on where this might be. Don't tell me. Just focus. Where is this? It's in this proximity. And what I mean by that is it's in Dublin. Is that correct? Yeah. You're in Dublin. You're outside. Uh, you're with family. And a cat smell. And you know a cat smell. But I get a distinguished smell with this. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So visualize. Turn up the controls. Okay. I'm losing you. Now. Turn up the controls because you're nervous. Okay. Turn up the controls. I saw a color. There's a color. There's a bright color here coming through. It's either gray or blue. Gray or blue involved in this. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. And I see you walking. You've walked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've, no. You. Yeah. You've walked. You're walking. You're doing a lot of walking in this. You're walking. You're outside. You're with your family. And there's a real. I can see something shitting. 
Does that make sense to yeah. you? Yeah. And you're outside. Are you in Dublin Zoo? Yeah. Yeah, you're in Dublin Zoo in your head. And you're with your family and you're specifically at the elephant enclosure. The <laughs> Was that it? <laughs> I don't get it because... Because I've seen you flicking the page and I know that they're all different. Yeah. And I've seen that they're all different. Yeah. And I know that I specifically could have chose any page. Yeah. I know I could have. It's yeah. my two hands. Yeah. So how... And yeah, it, yeah, it was an elephant. And, yeah. and you could have... And I could have... And the yokes, can, you can see anything in them, yeah? Yeah, you like, could see Like, see, we're making different yokes. Why did you... Yeah, so that was it. But that, here's the mad <laughs> thing, right? That MK Ultra thing that we spoke about, they were also trying to create what's called remote viewers. So mm. remote viewers are technically psychics that can actually... Uh, see what go into France seeing, and they it? can actually remote view into the Kremlin and stuff. Here's the mad thing, like, yeah. right? Just while we're on this, because I'm fascinated with this stuff now, right? So did you know that almost every major political person in the world from history has had some kind of a psychic advisor and they take their advice ahead of their military personnel, right? So if you look into uh, Stalin, so Stalin had a guy called Wolf Messing. Wolf Messing was basically this guy who apparently had like real powers, right? And, you know, brain hacking powers, you might call them that, or hypnotic powers. And Wolf Messing tested him a couple of times. This guy passed the test and ultimately took his advice ahead of the military personnel. Same as Hitler. Hitler had a guy called Eric Jan Hannison. And again, he advised Hitler. And if we look into modern day culture right now, like the ones that I can find are the Bush administration. So, you know, President Bush and Barbara Bush, they had a psychic advisor advising them, which is kind of scary if you think about it, because right now I would believe that probably Trump, probably Putin, especially in the Soviet, like you mentioned, you know, Russia, they've over the course of history had many, many of these people. And it's a really dangerous thing, like, you know, to believe that these people are- That's the influence they have. Influence, yeah. yeah. And, and there's a lot of gray area in that stuff as well, like, because there's a lot of hokum in it as well. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. a lot of bullshit in it as well. But like, when you get down into the real nitty gritty of it, the power, like Rasputin had huge power back in the day, you know, the mad monk as he's known, you know? So yeah, I love all that stuff. Come here, you said you started studying psychology. Did yeah, so I so never officially. So just looking at yes. well, I, I studied chemistry in college because if you think about it, back especially back in the day, right? So I was born in 1976. So you know, when I was 18, I was saying to my parents, "I'm going to be a professional magician," and they're like, "Yeah, that's great as a hobby. You're going to college, mate." <laughs> so they coerced me to go to college. So I picked science because uh, I know he listens to podcasts like yourselves, Mister Barry, who was our career guidance guy. Uh, he gave me an aptitude test and Mr. Barry said, whatever you do in college, don't do science because you don't have the aptitude for it. And, and because I never wanted to be anything other than a magician and I never wanted to go to college, I just picked science just to kind of, you know, just get the parents out of the bank. Yeah. And uh, and actually turns out I graduated with an honours chemistry degree and I got the best honours chemistry degree in 98 the UCG had ever seen. But like I went, when I went to college, my girlfriend at the time was my wife now, Maraid. She was studying psychology. So I started grabbing all her psychology books and learning from her books mm -hmm. and I became a voracious reader. So when people, even kids come up to me now and they go like, how do I do what you do? Because I do a lot of different things. I work with, you know, corporations around the world with employee engagement and then I act the magnet on stage. Like I mentioned to you, I'm in the bar gosh in January, lads, you'll have to come to that. Um, mm. But ultimately, like when it comes to the psychology aspect, I'm just completely self-taught and read from books. So when kids come to me now and they want to learn, I just go, the only way I know is the way I know. And the way I know is I learn from books. So if you were to come into my house now, like I've got two libraries in the house, it's just 
thousands of books now at this stage. Mm. And the wife is forever giving out to me because all I do is buy boxes of books off Amazon. And then I go into bookstores here, like Dubray Bookstore, I'll always go in and get books every time I'm in town. And that's how I learned. It's mainly books. So like from her psychology books, that's where I learned the psychology aspect of what I do. And then just mixed all that in with the hypnosis and then trickery as well and, and whatever. So it's kind of like that mixed bag that creates like a brain hacker, you know? See, when you started doing magic, I know you are very, very young, but as you are getting older, did you realize it was a job for life kind of thing if you were to get good at it? And you, did you imagine the career you could have had that you do have now? Yeah, like I always visualised it. So I learned visualisation from a very young age. So literally from the age of, I'd say, six or seven, I started to visualise myself performing in Vegas. Uh, and I headlined, I don't know if you noticed, like I headlined in Planet Hollywood for six months in Las Vegas. So all the key cards for Planet Hollywood, the key, Barry key cards, my name was in lights, I was up and down the strip on the backs of taxis, all the rest of it. And that was 15 years ago now. So I made that come into fruition in my head. First, from a very young childhood, like as I sit here before you now, like in my head, like I'm visualizing myself doing three nights sold out in a three arena somewhere in the next two years, two to three years. So that's what's in my head. And once I put it in my head, I'll always figure out a way to get there. So visualization for me is so important, which comes out of mental programming, which is very different than the law of attraction. There's a huge resurgence, by the way. I don't know if you've seen it online yeah. in like, <laughs> you know, journaling and the law of attraction. And I, I, like, I just call bullshit on it. Like, you know, for me. Thank God, Keith. Thank God. I thought you were going to be one of the other crowd and we would have had a serious disagreement there. But. Yeah, well, like, here's the thing, right? You are where you are because whether you like it or not or acknowledge it or not, first of all, you put it into your brain, but then mm. you took the actions, right? So people fucking say the law of attraction and the last word is action in attract. Like, listen, right? When it comes down to it, like I could spend hours on this now, but I'll just give you my own take on it, right? This pop culture on Instagram of like, journal, 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 you see it in your head and write it down and then it'll come into fruition and you, like, it's just uh, like a lot of it, there's a lot of BS out there. However, like I've mentioned creative visualization before and stuff like, here's what I do believe. So what I do believe is we have the capacity, we have about, like on average, we have about 86 billion neurons in our brain. And what's actually a true statement is we're creating new neural pathways every second of every day. So as you're talking to me, you're creating new neural pathways and vice versa. So these neurons are firing, they're wiring together, and neuroplasticity is real. What that ultimately means is if you creatively visualize, like I am, doing the three arena and get it into your body and attach the emotion onto that and then work your arse off to get there, then it can't not happen in my mind because I've got my mind and my actions aligned. And it's very different, as I said, than the law of attraction, right? And all this BS, law of attraction, law of action, like it, this, this stuff just drives me nuts now, right? But I do program myself in my head to achieve whatever it is that I want to achieve. Mm. But that's a whole other whole other podcast we could go into there, you know? Jody Hussey's yoga manifestation was a good take on it. Mm. But that's what this it's is. It's so, great, you know? Mm. You've obviously been able to branch this off then into sports psychology. Yeah, yeah. So like, so like people get sometimes confused by my brand, right? Because I started off as a magician and, you know, like I've been in the kind of zeitgeist here for a long time and then I've gone off and done my stuff in kind of corporate arena. But ultimately you get back to it. I suppose if you break down my brand, first of all, I love performing. So I love just being on a stage, having fun. And uh, I have a defined why I do that, though. It's very important to define your exact why given any moment in time. And if you haven't done it, a good thing for you guys to do just with your podcast, right? Why is it that you enjoy talking to people? But having that fully defined in. So when I'm on a stage, you know, performing a show, so quick plug for myself here so we don't forget no problem away, um, I'm doing the Bar Gosh in January so that's 2,000 seats or whatever it is so I've never performed the Bar Gosh Mind Games is the name of that show and I'm doing that like at Langton since Kenny and a whole bunch of shows around Ireland so you can check those out at keithbarry.com but with Mind Games 
I know exactly why I'm standing on that stage. I'm standing on that stage because I want to transport people into a world where they remember what it was to feel wonder again and to forget about their everyday problems. That's it. There's no other, nothing else I'm trying to do there, right? However, when you talk about sports psychology, my job, my function, my role is to transform that person's mindset into a peak performance mindset. So, for example, when Keith Earls came to me years ago now, but when he came to me, he wasn't playing that well by his own admission. And I said, well, what do you want? What's your purpose? And he wasn't really sure. So I worked with him just on that. Like, let's define a why. Like, what's your purpose? Rather than just playing better. Like, how can I help you? And he, we, we locked it in that he wanted to win Players Player of the Year. So over the course of a year, I worked with him using hypnosis and other techniques. Not just hypnosis, by the way, cold therapy and all kinds of other things as well to help him become a better performer. And then a year later, he won Players Player of the Year. So he locked it in psychologically ingrained it subconsciously and then every day took the actions to get there and look that all of the credit goes to him on that I just taught him the few tweaks to help him do that and then yeah so I've, I've worked with you know a lot of people who, who so here's the interesting thing about my world a lot of people want me to sign NDAs non-disclosure agreements because they don't want anybody to know <laughs> that I've worked with them so I don't mind doing that right but like you know I've worked with far more sports people say, that, I, yeah. that I can't so golfers tennis mm. players you know, a lot of different people. But that's about 5% of my work now. But 70% of my work has gone into corporations around the world, Dell, Amazon, Google, TikTok, the list goes on, uh, about employee motivation and mindset. And then, uh, you know, the rest of it then is having that fun factor on stage. And I love that umbrella. And I actually think people now get pigeonholed too much. You mm. know what I mean? Like, we've all got amazing brains and we're capable of doing so many different things. I could never sing, right? I don't have a talent for singing and no matter how much I train that, I'll never sing. Mm. But I know I have talent for different areas and I love doing the different things. Like, I love working in these organisations, but I also equally love, like, working with rugby players and sports stars or whatever it is. And then I love uh, being on the stage as well. And, and I do think variety is the spice of life. Like, for me right now, like, I've had a really busy couple of months and, like, straight away after this podcast, you would never guess what I'm going to do, like, the second I go out this door. You can come with me if you want. Have a guess. What am I going to do after here? <laughs> what? What do you think? Magic. No. That not make sense now. What are you going to do is you have to leave here? <laughs> I'm going to drive an hour in the dark because it's going to get dark and sunset. I know sunset is exactly half seven. So I'm going to drive an hour in the dark and I'm going to catch high tide and I'm going to be fishing on my own in the dark. I was going to say you were going to go for the sea swim. Yeah. Well, so I would, why, we, why, I would what are you doing that for? So, so I think we all have to find something that empties or quietens our mind. So I talk all the time. I talk for a living really and I perform for a living and I'm switched on all the time. My brain can't handle that all the time. So... I find, I always say this, like fishing is cheaper than therapy. So it just empty my brain, a quiet my brain. And I think people are struggling so much right now. You know, it's a difficult period. I think people are so scared. Like the news has everybody mm, scared of vaccines. Yeah. And if you're not scared of the vaccine, you're scared of the uh, war, of the pandemic. I'm singing you're a fucking scared. song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. something new. Every but every, everybody's frightened, right? Yeah. And now we've got like AIs coming in. Everybody's frightened. AI is going to take over your podcast. Is it going to take over me? Is it Listen, you know, we've all got to find our own way, but people are struggling so much out there now. I find like through our website, through my website, like we got probably get about 10 emails a day just on kids that are struggling. So I did this thing. I did an interesting thing. It was brilliant to do actually. So I put up a video on LinkedIn. So I'm very active on LinkedIn because that's where all the businesses are. And 
on LinkedIn, I put up this video and it was Tyg Furlong just being nice to my kid, Braden, right? Because Braden's big into rugby. And he let Braden hit him a tackle. So an 11-year-old, you can imagine, like a hero and he's hitting Tyg Furlong a tackle. So I videoed it, I put it up on LinkedIn and I said, Tyg Furlong was such a sound fella. And, and it reminds me of a post I think it was you put up or one of you, or maybe it was both of you. And you'll know what it is now in a, in a second. And I really admired the post you put up. I just said at the end of it, Tyg Furlong was so sound and he made my fellas, not just his day, but his life by that. I'm going to pay it forward. If there's any kids out there who are struggling, your kids, because on LinkedIn, it's obviously of a certain age demographic. Most of them have kids. Any kids are struggling, I'll make a personalized video to them to just motivate them and help them. I didn't realize the response that I get. Like it has 150,000 views. I just checked it today and I had to do 72 videos so far. I probably still have another 20 to Fucking do. Fucking hell, yeah. And that's just all. And, and, and the responses back are, what you didn't know is my kid was suicidal. That made such a difference. And that little thing that you got, one of you two guys met the homeless guy is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and just yeah, yeah. taking time for people. And mm. your post, I didn't post about my experience, mm. but I can tell you exactly about it because I'm going to give somebody else a shout out who I know is doing similar things. And I think this is important in the world you're in, the world I'm in, that we do pay it forward. So I was at, I can't remember what I was, but I was at something with the wife and the kids it was in a theatre here in town, but I was parked up around Stevens Green somewhere. And I went to go in, there was a homeless guy there. And they went in to pay the ticket, like the wife and whatever. And I just stood there, I was just chatting to him. And I just gave him 50 quid and I was going to walk away. And then I was like, ah, look, the wife was having problems trying to pay the ticket anyway. So I said, they're in there, grand, they're grand. And I just got chatting to this guy. And, and he was just so sound. And he was just saying to me, look, I appreciate you so much, Keith, just for taking the time. He wasn't even thinking about the 50 quid. It was just taking the time to stop and chat to him. And I remember him saying to me, he said, do you know who else is sound? I said, who? Dermot Wheel. And I said, why is that? He said, because he takes the time to come to me, I think it's once a month or maybe once every two weeks or something like that. But Dermot takes the time. And Dermot doesn't even know I'm telling this. Like, I haven't spoken about this publicly. But it's just a shout out to Dermot. Like, apparently he finds this guy, takes his time to chat with him. Obviously, I'm sure he gives him a few quid or whatever it is. But those moments matter. And they matter whether it's a child that's struggling or whether it's a homeless person that's struggling. And I think not enough of us are taking that time to do that. And that's why I did that video on LinkedIn because there's kids out there Jesus, 10 emails a day we're getting of kids who've got social anxiety disorder, they've got eating disorders, they're suicidal, they're depressed. And there's a an avalanche of this happening right now. And no one's really talking about it. Like, I know there are people talking about mental health, but I don't think we're acknowledging what's coming. And what's coming is bad, I can tell you. It's dark. And that's not to be scaremongering. That's just so the people are aware of their own kids mm. and that we can all help in our own little way. You don't have to see a psychologist to actually help yourself or help other people. So mm. there's, sorry, I went off a complete tangent there. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Um, I know you mentioned the post there, but I don't like posting stuff like that mm. either. And I think everybody should just, Do if it. you can, just be nice to people, especially yeah. people who are struggling though, like that. And you don't have to go online and tell people they're the only. I agree. So I do like tons of charity work. And I only say that because I don't post about it. Yeah. I do it because I want to do it. And if the charity wants me to post, fine. Yeah. There's too many virtue signals out there. So and this fella, I've, since last summer when I met him, we'd stayed in contact here and there. He'd go on to me mm. every so often, say, I'm doing well now. And then he'd say, I'm at the falling off the wagon. Yeah. And I'm... And it'd be kind of like that. And I think that's the longest period nowadays at the stand. So he's yeah. in the treatment centre and he's doing great with himself. And I just thought it was an unbelievable thing to text me. And then I rang him and we were chatting for ages. And he says to me, you should put that on your platform, on the podcast. Mm. And Because, yeah, what you did for me, like, and I was trying to say to him, no, what you did for you, not yeah. me. I just fucking yeah. spoke to you like a fucking human being that day. You know what I mean? He's like, the amount of people that walked past me that day and mm. stuff like that. But I think everybody, 
I've been doing that my whole life. Calvin's been doing that his whole life. That's what we try and say on this podcast. Doesn't matter if somebody has a suit in a briefcase there and they come up and talk to you, you'll stop and talk to mm. them. Doesn't matter if they're sitting on the ground drinking a can and struggling. Mm. Doesn't matter what they are, they're human at the end of the day. And if you have time, obviously we don't all have time yeah. every single day. Sometimes I'm rushing off to the old podcast, I yeah, can't yeah. stop and talk to somebody. Sometimes, But we're all go, go, go. If it's a fucking Sunday morning, you're getting up, you're going over to get yourself a nice coffee in the morning, you have a bit of time in your hands, you see someone there. You don't have to give them money, you don't have to do this. You don't you have, have to make acknowledgement. Just yeah. fucking talk to them like yeah. a human being. And I think what that did, it's nothing got to do with me and I keep trying to tell him that. Yeah. He's like, no, what you did? I'm like, no, no, but no, it, but what it, you but did. But it is everything to do with you. See, this is the interesting thing. It is it is, and it isn't. Oh, no, right? it's not. I, I, yeah, but I understand you don't want to take credit for it mm. and, and you don't need to take credit for it, mm. but you have to understand that that moment, that one moment, mm changed everything for him mm. so you know we have to acknowledge the power that you can have because otherwise you'll forget and then you won't not that you won't do it again but you just the time that you're rushed you might take that step back and help that person now again i fully agree with you you can't help everybody right mm. but i remember i'm just reminded of a funny one but in a good way how you can just help people like that by acknowledging them so uh, i was over in the states i was at the now you see me two premiere because <laughs> i worked on the now you see me movies and Everyone was just having like the crack, right? So it was all the stars in the movie, like it was Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine and Woody Harrelson. Everyone was there. And we went to an after hours place. After hours was this Irish bar and everyone was there. We're all there, all having the crack. And we were outside the pub for a minute and there was a homeless guy there and he was trying to get at the actors and they all have handlers so he couldn't get any of them. And I just went, do you want to see a magic trick? And I was just having fun with him. And I did a magic trick. And I'm telling you now, in that one moment, I could just see his whole world changing. And I'm, I remember the PR guy of the movies, Mike Rowe was there and he was like, he talked to me afterwards. He was like, you do know you changed that whole guy's world. And again, it's not about me taking credit, but the only reason I mention these things, it's important that people out there might go, all right, I might start doing something, something to inspire people. And again, I fully agree with you. Like, it doesn't need to be money driven. Just acknowledge that people being, like everyone talks about be kind, right? I deleted Twitter off my phone there recently. I still have it because I still post there for our business, right? But like there was something I saw the other day on Twitter. It's one of these things that popped up my feed. I didn't even want, you know the way something pops up your feed and it's there for some five seconds and you see it and then you can't unsee it. Somebody had thrown a tire at a cop and he missed it. Have you seen this? And this woman got hit in the head. She could be dead now. She Like her head went sideways. She got knocked out and then her head hit concrete. And then I purposely had a look at what people were commenting. And it was all just laugh, 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 laugh. Bet you didn't see that come. Laugh, 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 laugh. And I'm like, is that now the world we're in? Like, they don't know what that woman was doing, not doing, whatever. But she, she could be dead for all we know. And everyone's just having to laugh about it. And that's the problem now with social media is that, you know, people, not only are they anonymous, but they're losing themselves in absolute just a fakery yeah and I mean even down as far as I find it hard to even look at some well recognised and well respected people on social media because nothing is fucking real like I mean the way people speak yeah. when they're doing their videos and stuff like that and then you bump into them on the weekend and they're just not there. and I understand that you, you have to play up to a person or something but I just feel like everything on the internet is fake but that's why that's why I, real but that's why like I made a decision recently like this is a bit sad for me to say this now right but I'll say it here just so people can understand sometimes where I come from and that they might start so you saying that that was the guy 
take responsibility. Mm -hmm. I fully agree with you. But you inspired him to do that. You have to acknowledge that, right? Mm. And the reason I'm saying you have to acknowledge that is we need more people out there inspiring people Mm. to take effective, meaningful change for themselves, right? So I just made a conscious decision a couple of years ago to not comment on people's funerals and when they die. Because I find the amount of people out there going, like, for example, Christy. I never mentioned, like, I know Christy. I never knew him very well, but I bumped into him. It was very sad what happened. And I actually felt that a little bit because I just thought he would inspire me as a performer. I look at other performers who will really inspire me. But I thought, I'm not going to put R.I.P. Christy. Because to me, it's just virtue signaling. Now, you mm. might say, no, I know he had his daughter on. So you mm. might say, well, his daughter might see that from Keith Barry and take some solace in that. I think, you know, your family is who you're taking solace in in the moment. But do you then think that, so they had a big parade and things like yeah. that. You then think that, like, then people shouldn't. No, they really care. Those people that were there physically so really care. Yeah. But what I'm talking people about. People with bad intentions. No, not bad intentions, but I, well, actually, it's just selfish intent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they want yeah. to be seen. They want to yeah. be seen to go. Whereas, they're feeding yeah. their yeah. algorithm yeah. to get people. People like their posts because yeah, yeah, they're putting yeah. R.I.P. Christie, and if yeah. they see it trending, that's what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. and it makes me puke a little bit. Me, yeah, I would agree with so you. So the yeah. same with Sinead O'Connor. The same, like I just made a conscious decision. I'm not going to comment on anybody's funerals. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's just because I, I just see people in my world, like in your world, like this social media world, going, "Oh my god!" And then they find a photograph, and a grainy photograph from 2008. Yeah, and and it's complete BS. They're just feeding an algorithm. Hundred percent. Right, and it's like what you said. Okay, you shared that one story and I've shared maybe two stories here now. But like, I'm only mentioning those so that maybe somebody out there might go, actually, I've been a bit selfish lately and maybe I should help other people. Mm. And the fact that you do without looking for any acknowledgement for the most part, we'll just say 99.9999% of the time you never talk about it. Same with you, same with me. But people need to know that we're doing these things and we're not... Well, I would have never. I would have never only thought he asked me to do that to share it he yeah. told me to share yeah. it on the phone the other day and I said actually do you know what you actually make a good point yeah. there like obviously I was never intended there and he said you should share that because like whatever you know what I mean it helped me that could help others I said no problem yeah. I'll do that but I would never and I, I don't think I'm not advising people to do that either but the only thing is it's just like just be kind to people like you know what I mean that's literally a simple it's, but, but it's, it's so as simple easy. as that just talk to people but it's so easy to say no that, matter right? who you are do you remember the hashtag be kind thing there a few years ago when I think it was Caroline Flack died right because yeah. you know there's so many people pouncing on that and it was hashtag be kind that was forgotten a couple of months later and then mm. everybody was back taking the piss out of her poor beautiful young soul like she, she was challenged in whatever way she was challenged and she took her own life mm. and like there's nothing to laugh about there there's nothing to smile about and there's nothing to take the piss out of it so you know the hashtag be kind is very easy to put that up on a tweet right but it's a whole other thing to be acting on it on a consistent basis and listen I have bad days where I get angry at, like you know myself I get angry at my wife get angry at my kids and we have blow ups and all the rest so we're like there's nobody perfect here but it's just if you have the intent to do good the intent to be kind you'll always come back to that but not enough people are doing that like there's too much like I, don't yeah, I was really going to say it's not like it's not a thing of like look at me no, I'm good or I'm great because I f- so I fuck up every blade day I'm a nuisance yeah but we all I've done some really bad things in my life that I'm not proud of yeah but well, once I'm trying to do better I think is the main thing but yeah but that's it and like I don't really believe in karma as such like in other words I don't believe we should expect that the world should give us something back yeah. for being nice yeah right yeah that's the thing about I mean, about this whole what you're saying about everything is fake and the thing that annoys me with social media is it sets a trend in so people think oh this is how we have to act mm. now and this is the popular thing to do and I'm like do you know when you look at things on social media it doesn't have to be that way yeah. just because someone told you on social media oh this is what we're doing now no you don't have to do that yeah. it's a choice Yeah. and the thing you're saying about being kind 
I'm not going out there. I'm not saying hello to someone, hoping that the next person says hello to me. Then because they see me say hello to you someone, know what I mean? you just you can go around with life. It will though genuinely come back because if I say hello to Terence and he was like, you know what, that was nice. Yeah. I'm gonna say hello to somebody, yeah. and before you know it, that goes around the block, and the next person does say hello to you. Well, it comes back to mentally programming and how the next generation are coming up, right? The next generation are coming up just scrolling through TikTok first thing in the morning. Right? I see them in my own housing state. They're scrolling like this as they're going to school, whereas. Like every morning when my kids go out the door, right? I'm the embarrassing dad, right? Yeah. The dad. Like if I see them going out or if I'm in the shower and I come out and I can hear the door close, I open up the top window. Like they tell you this themselves and I scream two things. Never give up, never give up. And then I scream, find someone sad and make them happy. Now, do my kids actually go to school looking for somebody sad to find? No, right? But is it getting in? I believe it is. Yeah. Screaming it every day at them. Mm. Every day. So I definitely know that they're not bullies anyway. And I always say to my young fella, he's stocky like he's hard. I always say to him, see anybody being bullied, I don't care who it is, step in and sort the bully out. Whatever way you need to sort him out. You're the fellow who can do it. Because no one's going to fuck with him basically. Because he's already like just this fella that no one can fuck with, right? Because he's confident, he's young. Whatever. But find someone sad and make them happy. So here's what I live by. And I live by this. Like every day when I'm passing people, complete strangers, whatever. It doesn't matter. And I'm not talking about the celebrity, Keith Barry, or the influence, whatever you want to call me. I don't care what you call me. But the known person, right? I'm not talking about because that. It was since I'm young, I smile and acknowledge everyone. I'm ready to smile at everyone, lads. Mm. Right? Because a smile can just make somebody's day. But there's too many zombies going around out there. Mm. The amount of people I go to say hello to and they're just staring at the ground or they've got the ear pods in. Maybe they're listening to a good podcast. Mm -hmm. I, can, I, I can acknowledge that, right? But, but too many people are just... But you seem like a happy-go-lucky fella, though, Keith. Like, you seem like you're all... But I program myself that way, so I'll give you an example. I do things. Right? I wish I was like that. I, I, I'd probably be one of them zombies some days, yeah? I, I'm a comforter, like, you know what I mean? I'm up and down. Yeah, but... I but try and be happy and I try and be quiet. No, up, up and down is okay. Like, I've down you know days I mean? too, so I'm not happy clapping. Like, I don't... Well, I'm talking four days to three days. I'm not talking six days Yeah, but then you have to... Like, we all have to work I'm on that, right? though, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But it's like, so what, what What are you putting in place to help you with that? Like, have you got any systems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what? Is there anything that you can share with us? Like, the kind but, of system that you're using? Like therapy or something, is it? Well, no, whatever. It can be any yeah, well, therapy. To, what, to be happy, like, is that yeah. what you mean? I'll be quiet. Yeah, but to get your four days down to, like, five and two. Mm. Like, is there anything that you're doing? Like what way? What's your what's your habits on a daily basis? To try and help yourself with that. Do you have any? No. Maybe you don't have any. No, I don't. That's no. okay. So then you have to put habits in place. So for example, I know what makes me happy. Like, but but it's you. no. But you, like, if you're caught in your own mind four yeah. days out of seven, right? You have to get programming in in yeah. order to deprogram whatever's going on there, yeah. right? So uh, a way to do that. So here's what I do because right? like I've dark days and bad thoughts but they never get on top of me right so I have way more good days than bad days right yeah. but that comes down to consistently doing the same things so for example like fishing is a good example right I go fishing just empties my brain and alleviates my brain but then every day I'll do my breath work system so I follow the Wim Hof breathing system you know, so you're familiar with Wim Hof the other yeah. man yeah so I followed Wim since like almost day zero he had no followers I'm one of his original followers lads hmm. so I, I see the, the explosion right um, so I go to him a couple of times a year so I was at him earlier this year I'm going again later this year the reason I'm going is because that keeps me sane that helps me have the five two or the six one days or whatever it is because you can't not be happy after doing an ice bath you can't not be de-stressed if you do your breath work so there are systems that I have in place and I call them my immovables I can't negotiate with myself so that's a good one for you to try and remember so if you put a good habit in place you write it down somewhere and you put it in in your head 
can't negotiate. Because the second you start negotiating, you won't do it. And what I mean by that is, we'll just take the ice bath as an example. I get in the ice bath every two days, not every day because I don't have time every day because it takes about 25 minutes to have a four minute experience basically, right? <laughs> so, because people don't understand, you have to make your own ice, put it in, unless you can afford one of those fancy ones from the UK, which are like 12 grand lads for an ice bath. So mm. I don't, I've got the little tub that I get in and make my own ice and put it in. But it's an immovable, meaning if it's piss and rain tomorrow, and I'm supposed to get in that ice bath Again. and I start whinging at myself, which we'll all, we all have You're to hamster. You're going to get wet anyways, aren't you? Yeah, but we all have to hamster, right? Ah, Keith, it's raining. Don't go out there. Ah, Jesus, you know, it's cold. Ah, couldn't be bothered. Ah, you've other shit to do. No, that's an immovable. I've got to get in the ice bath. I did it today. If you ran my wife, she said, I came in, I was out in the office, right? I have an outside cabin. I was out in the office and I got freezing cold out there. And then I said, okay, I got to do the ice bath. And she goes, but Keith, you're already freezing. You're going to catch a cold. I was like, no, but it's an immovable. I have to get in the ice bath. Like I'm not allowed not getting it. Mm. So once you put those layers in place, you'll have way more good days than bad days. I'm only giving you two examples. So it could be meditation works for you, might not work for you. You got to find the things that work for you. Going to the gym. Yeah, going to the gym is a brilliant one. Exercise, right? So any kind of exercise. Nature is the other thing. Nature. Tell you, tell you, I hate the gym. I know it's five days a week. Yeah. Without fail and I have to go. I think the gym is very tedious, boys. Like I like boxing. I like football. I like things that constant like yeah, go 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 in the gym we just hate the whole look of like putting the weights on and doing then you do your shit and then you're on to the next and it's just i just find i don't like the gym i mm. don't like it yeah but when, i don't get when, that buzz. okay here's a question when's the last time you went into nature nature yeah like into the woods for a walk i might have been sick for a little while emily so a long time ago a couple of months ago anyway she might have been sick for about two months over two months so that doesn't help either, does it? Yeah, so the first thing you need to be doing if you're able to get back into nature, people just don't understand mm. how good nature is for the brain. We've come, become detached from nature. Mm. Like, I garden. Like, I'm like an old man, lads. I've little green fingers on me. I go out and... <laughs> little green yeah, fingers. But I go out and plant, like, carrots and courgettes and have apple trees and all this and just being out in the garden. You know, like, I've, I have lots of different things I'm interested in, right? So, ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese word and it's basically a word for purpose. But here's the thing. Most people in Western society, they've got a purpose, ikigai, they call it, till they're 65. So, in other words, everyone's aiming at 65, going to retire, going to have me pension and then I'm going to go playing golf. Guess what? Most of those people die early, as in they die in their probably mid-70s. So they only have like 10 years of retirement and then they die of something, right? Whatever that something is. The people in Japan, certain part of Japan, yeah. they're not dying. And the reason they're not dying... The highest percentage of people over 100 in the world. Yeah, and the reason they're not dying isn't necessarily their diet. They think their diet could be part of it, right? But it's actually their ikigai. And they don't retire at 65. They find a tribe and they keep helping each other out. So their tribe, one person's tribe could be gardening. And then they find out that they don't use any chairs in their garden. They squat, so they're exercising while they're gardening. But then they're gardening for produce that they then give to charities and whatever. So they got this purpose icky guy. Yeah, that, I think that's a fact, Keith. I'd love to see a study on this because yeah. I've heard of cases of people, our old caretaker in school, he walked into his retirement age yeah. and he kept going and then he stopped and he died not long after. And then I know a case of another elderly person. They used to go to the shop every day, but they had a bad fall. Yeah. And you were very fragile. And the family said, look, you're not to be going to that shop. And you were dead within two years. Yeah. And then like my own nana, my own nana is still rearing, uh, well, she yeah. reared my cousins. And now 
my cousins are having kids and they're always up and around the house. Yeah. So she's always on the go, like, do you well, know what I mean? Shout out to Betty as well, yeah. And I'm like, that's what's keeping them young. But like, yeah. Betty's the same. She loves loves a drink. Yeah. You know I mean, she's well able. She goes uptown, gets a message, comes yeah. back. She's well able, like, do you know what I mean? But, but this is the interesting thing, right? So see what you said. That's very interesting. It's like, she likes to drink, but she has a purpose and then she does this and that and the other. Because here's the thing, like, you'll notice it, right? On social media right now, you got one batch of people are saying, got to go on the carnivore diet. You'll have longevity. You'll live forever if you're going on the carnivore diet. Mm. Then you got the vegans and vegetarians over you gotta go on the vegan and vegetarian diet, vegan vegetarian mm. and there's all this noise going on out there and then the gut brain health and, and there's a lot to be said for some of that right there's science accurate science behind some of it but I, I'm actually at the state and I've studied all this right so I know a lot about the carnivore diet lads and I know a lot about the vegans and the vegetarians and I just took a step back the other day I was like whatever happened where people just ate like a normal diet <laughs> you know what I mean like and whatever you like and whatever suits you so fish like meat veg and try and get it organic where you can because pesticides aren't good for you. How about that? And if you can't afford the organic, still eat vegetables anyway. Just wash them before you fucking eat them. Like, it's not that complicated. But then if you don't overthink that and then you go back to having fun is the other thing, reconnecting with nature is the other thing. That's why there's so many people who are sea swimmers now. Like, I've been sea swimming since I'm five or six because we were born seven miles from Dummer East. I love the sea. And I do sea swim and I can get there. But like, longevity studies will show you that the people getting to see they're living longer as well why because like they're rejuvenated they're refreshed you'd find it hard now to be having bad days four days a week if you got in the sea every day but maybe you don't want to get in the sea every day that's okay too but then you have to find something else so that's something else could be buy a dog and go for a walk in nature <laughs> if you don't like dogs don't buy you know what i mean but you have to find something yeah and therapy is fantastic as well but like therapy will only take you so far sometimes. Sometimes you have to just find that other thing. And I think sometimes these other things can be simple, lads. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you want to cure your sleep, stick your head out the window in the morning and get some sunlight on your eyes to kick in your circadian rhythm, right? So that resets your circadian rhythm. If you want to reduce your anxiety or depression, try self-hypnosis. If that doesn't work, try meditation. If that doesn't work, you know, go for a walk in the woods. If that doesn't work, buy it. Like there's so many things you can do. But I think doing them is the thing, right? And getting to it. And then making sure that you look after your, your headspace first. Because at the end of the day, like if you're not having good times more than bad times, positive days more than non-positive days, what's it all about? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Only get one go around, Keith. Yeah. 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 yeah, in my mind, yeah. I don't believe in reincarnation. I'm getting one go at this and then going yeah. full kilt. Yeah, fucking right. <laughs> um, so, you're, Keith, you have like a conglomerate of little traits and attributes. Mm. So... You have the magic side, but you have the performer side, and then you have the psychological side here. Mm. Do you think there's a bit of like social engineering involved in what you're doing? So, you know, like the old school magician is like, so I have my hand here and they're waving the left hand up in the air. That's because they don't want you to look at what they're doing yeah. with the right hand. Yeah. And next of all, they pull something out from behind you. How the fuck did he do that? It was up yeah. his right sleeve the whole time. Yeah. Do you think there's a big aspect in social engineering in what you're doing, especially yeah, more, in today's yeah. world? Yeah, I mean, more social psychology than anything. So like just understanding people, understanding how brains work. So I, I'm a bit of a nerd about it. Like, I, you know, I've studied everything from the amygdala, which is our emotional response to the parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, all these different systems inside our brain. So for me, it's more studying the social psychology of people as well mm. and also understanding people so like if you were to look back to like the performance aspect of what I do when we're talking about hypnosis there's a lot of people you just want to get them compliant right and compliance in you know kind of a social engineering way if you like is if I get five people in a room right and let's just imagine four of them are actors and that one person doesn't know that the other four are actors. And if I get the four of you doing something that you wouldn't ordinarily do, that something could be anything. There's been many studies on this. That person's way more inclined to do whatever that is that you're all doing. That's 
something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. Like there was um, a study years ago, I think it was the Milgram experiment, where they had these people and these people were electrocuting, genuinely thought they were electrocuting other people. And that whole experiment was based on, you know, a social construct and what is right and what's not right and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think... I think we're far more easily influenced now than ever. And that's a problem because mm. like, it's mad. Isn't it mad that we say, like you said it, it's all fake, whatever's online. But then everybody believes it to be real. Everybody gets duped. Like you got all these young girls now are just like literally like eyelashes out to here, younger than ever. And then they end up like with no confidence and all the rest of it because they're believing the lives of the Kardashians that are they're having the great old time. They're believing all these different, and instead of just actually, you know, just being, dare I say it, normal. Like, it's okay to be normal. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? Look, I'm normal behind the scenes. I'm just a dad. I'm just a husband. Like, yeah, what I do is extraordinary, I suppose, because I do weird stuff and get inside people's heads. But it's actually okay to be normal. Like, you don't have to actually, behind the scenes, yeah, we want to be the best at what we can be, whatever that is, right? So if you're going to be in karate, try and be the best at karate. Mm. It doesn't mean you'll achieve it, but try and achieve it. But like, behind the scenes, it's okay, like what you said, be nice, be sound, and being normal is actually okay, you know? Yeah, a candle loses no flame like another candle, Keith. There you go. Here's one for you. We've been at this a while now and you haven't given us any celebrity stories. I heard you talk was a Woody Harrelson to hypnotise Mark Ruffalo. Mm, yeah, that was hilarious actually. So you're able to teach other people how to hypnotise as well. Yeah, so I taught Woody like uh, as much. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I taught Woody as much as I could teach him in the space of time that I worked with him for. So on Now You See Me 2... They're great films. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you about the, the Mark thing in a second, but I remember, because this is one you can see online, so I know it's up on YouTube. So I taught Woody Harrelson how to hack David Letterman's brain. So he was on the Letterman show, and I'd set up this trick. So I was working with the producers on the Letterman show. They were asking about what he would do. But here's the thing. The producers tried to mess Woody's trick up. So in the bathroom... I changed everything. So in the bathroom on Letterman show, I pulled Woody into the bathroom so nobody could hear us and I taught him a new thing, right? And basically Letterman brought his own books along and Woody got Letterman to look up a word or a phrase in the book and then Woody hacked Letterman's brain and you could see Letterman losing his mind because Letterman's a skeptic. David Blaine never went on Letterman because Letterman is not nice to magicians. He's not kind. Like He, he just doesn't like magicians. So when... Woody hacked his brain. He lost his fucking mind. Like, But to back to, yeah, I, I taught Woody hypnosis. I remember after teaching, we were in the Children Firehouse, which is this place in London. It's like the Soho Club. And uh, we were there and I hypnotized a waitress there and I took control of her hand. I mean, whatever my hand was doing, her hand was moving in sync, but outside of her cognitive awareness. So she was looking at her own hand moving like this, freaking out because I had control of her hand. And I remember Woody going, you need to teach me that, bro. Yeah, I gotta learn this. So that's when I started teaching hypnosis. And uh, we're out for dinner in, I think it was New Orleans with me. It was just me, him, and Mark Ruffalo. And uh, I thought it'd be funny to get Woody to hypnotize Mark. So he hypnotized him over dinner and he hypnotized Mark to only be able to see the color green. And was he aware that he was being hypnotized? Yeah. So he was fully hypnotized and he could only see green because he was the Hulk, right? Yeah. So I was like, that's why I thought that'd be funny. And he was freaking out. He was like, I can only see green. But now the story goes that Mark says that he wasn't hypnotized and he was only playing along. Woody doesn't think Mark was hypnotized and I know Mark was hypnotized. So the three of us have three different realities based on the same story and somewhere in there is the truth. And like, you know, we'll never know the real truth, but I actually genuinely know that 
Mark was really hypnotized because I could see his pupil dilation and stuff. Uh, so I can tell physiologically by looking at somebody if they're going under or not. I can tell by their breath rate. I can count their heart rate and all kinds of things, you know, depending on their physiology. So I can actually really clue into whether somebody's hypnotized. So I believe he really was hypnotized. Mm. Have you any other good celebrity stories? Jeez, I've loads. And now you see me too. Morgan Freeman challenged me to read his mind. So that was a bit mad because it's Morgan Freeman and I'm a big fan and he's an icon and he's like, you know, I got really nervous and I don't get nervous easily. So it took me about, like it, was, it was a long enough process, but ultimately I told him after about 10 minutes about a childhood friend of his called Boo Boo that he hadn't seen or thought about even in about 60 years. He used to go fishing with a kid called Boo Boo. And I told him about that. He lost his mind, just started screaming, unfucking believable unfucking believable So that was an amazing moment. And then there was another time that kind of sticks out. You can see this one online, actually. In 2006, I drove Nicole Scherzinger from the Pussycat Dolls down a canyon road, completely blindfolded. So I couldn't see anything at all. And she'd examined the blindfolds and all the rest of it. And I drove her at speed down a canyon road. But I didn't realize until we stopped the car. I wasn't... So obviously I'd rehearsed it with, with the crew. I mean, this is a big TV production that I had. Like, it was Keith Barry Extraordinary on CBS. Like, it was a big thing. And uh, ultimately... When we rehearsed it, I was always told by the coordinators there, never go within about two feet of the edge of the cliff, if you can, even though I'm blindfolded. I was like, sure, whatever. And every time I rehearsed it, I'd always stay two foot away from the edge of the cliff. Then it got to the take. And Nicole like, knew nothing. She was kept completely in dark. She knew that she was meeting me, and that was it. So she thought she might have been up there for a card trick or something, right? <laughs> and the next minute, I pretty much abducted her, blindfolded, and she's screaming her head off. But at the end of it, she said that I got so close to the cliff edge, you could have spit out the car over the cliff. Oh, so I got within an inch. Hell. So like I could have genuinely killed this boat. I mean, things go wrong in mm. my world a lot. And there's a lot of guys being killed and injured. But that was one, like I know Nicole now, and she's still a good friend. Like she appeared on my TV show last year on RTE, the Keith Barry experience. She did it virtually. But that was one that kind of sticks out, you know. So that would have been a big fuck up. Have you ever had any? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very big. Just a bit like. <laughs> have you had any fuck ups like at a live audience? Like where it's oh, yeah. wrong. Yeah, you can find one online again. So I always say... What do you do, like? So, well, I'll tell you. Everyone so I, be like, oh, he's full of shit and he was fake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, here's... The, well, that was, well, there's two fuck-ups. One's a fuck-up I couldn't control. One was that, uh, that I could control. So one was... Uh, so I was in the Olympia and I went for dinner before the Olympia. I made a rookie mistake. I had muscles. So I got food poisoning right before I went on stage. Full-blown food poisoning now, right? And and I was on, on the stage, and 15 minutes in, I knew I had to get sick. So I ran off the side of the stage, had a puke right on the stage, like nobody could see. And then I just told the audience, listen, I got food poisoning, but the show's going to go on. So I just kept running off stage puking. And by the end of the show, I was fully exhausted, and my jeans were covered in puke. My shoes were so covered in puke, I just threw off my shoes. And I went out, and I got a standing O. And the audience, like, still thinks... It's part like, of the act. Part of the act. Yeah. Right? And then I went up and collapsed in the dressing room and they had to get a shock dock out from, uh, they were like MCD were doing a festival, uh, like Electric Picnic or one of those things. It was out in Marley Park actually. They had to get one of those doctors into Olympia and give me two injections just to get me out of the, the dressing room. Like I was in flitters. So that was one kind of fuck up that was outside of my control. But a different one was I was in, uh, again, in the Olympia. And so over the years, I did a lot of escapes. So getting tied certain ways, put under water and escaping out of that or, you know, hanging from a helicopter, escaping from a straitjacket or whatever it was, right? So I did loads of these escapes over the years. But anyway, on stage in the Olympia, it was a part of my eight deadly sin show. And I'd give two random audience members a hundred foot of rope. 
So you get a hundred foot of rope and then you tie me any way you want to a chair, right? So you tie me any way you want. And because it was the eight deadly sins, this was the sin of greed. So I wanted to see how greedy people were. So the idea was if I couldn't get out of the hundred foot of rope in less time than the, you, the two you tie me up in, you get a thousand euros each. So it's a challenge, right? You tie me up any way you want. And if I can't get out in less time than you tie me up, you get a grand each. So people go nuts trying to tie me all kinds of ways that I couldn't get out. And then the twist was, I'd say, oh, and behind you, there's a roll of cling film. So you can wrap a whole roll of cling film around my head so I can't see or breathe as I'm trying to escape. So they'd wrap my head in cling film. I'd be tied in a hundred foot rope. But I always put this, so smart enough to know, it was a two hour show. I'd always put this at the end. So it was the last 15 minutes. And I put it at the end because I knew some night it might go wrong. And if it went wrong, at least everybody's had their full night of entertainment and they can't ask for their money back. Yeah. <laughs> right? Anyway, one night on stage in the Olympia, a sailor was up and he tied all, all kinds of mad sailing knots. And ultimately I couldn't get out. I flopped over in the chair, winded myself, went to breathe in and just breathe in a, like a mouthful of plastic, basically, of the cling film. And then passed out on stage, started puking on myself. And Noel McHale, who was my promoter in MCD, he, just, he knew something went wrong. So he hit the shutters. So the shutters just coming down like this. And meanwhile, everybody's like looking at each other in the audience going, is this part of the act? What's going on? What's going on? But that went horribly wrong. Like that could have been a lot more tragic if he hadn't acted that fast so that he ripped the clean film off my face and stuff. But I say no filming in my shows, but there's always some idiot filming, right? And somebody uploaded that. So you can actually find it on YouTube, me passing out on stage. My palms are so wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, like there was another time I was on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Do you know the Jimmy Kimmel show? Yeah. Mm. So I was on the Jimmy Kimmel show four or five times over the years. And uh, I was doing this trick where I'd take a black-eyed bean, which is like a pea, basically. I used to do this thing where it's sticking in my ear canal oh, and, it's, so and it's squeezed inside my face and it pops out my eye, right? And uh, I was rehearsing in my apartment, which was 1030. I'll never forget the address of the apartment. I used to live in 1031 Wooster Street in LA. I had my own apartment and I was rehearsing for the thing and I lost the black-eyed bean down my ear canal. Like straight down, all the way down. And I could feel it hit my eardrum. So I did what every good Irish man would do. What would you do? Grab the Hoover. I was trying to get it out with the Hoover, right? <laughs> I promise you this is true. Try to get out with the Hoover. And then I rang my publicist at the time. Amy's V was her name. So I rang Amy and I was like, Amy, uh, I've lost the black-eyed bean down my ear canal. I've got a tweezers. I need you to come up and take a look and see can you get it out. And, you know, real LA answer though. I would not feel comfortable with that, Keith. You know, real Hollywood answer. Go to Cedar sinus So Cedar sinus is where you see... You remember when Brittany was having her breakdown, she'd end up in Cedar Sinai. They, they all go to Cedar Sinai. So anyway, it's the big hospital nearby. So I went there and uh, went in and I told the old guy, because there was an old doctor in there that night, uh, that I'd lost a black eyed bean. Now what they're supposed to have is they have this special kind of medical grade super glue. And what they're supposed to actually do for this is they're supposed to put the medical grade super glue on the end of a long cotton bud and they're supposed to go down. Ah, click. <laughs> well, they're supposed to take it out that way, right? But anyway, ultimately they syringed the black eyed bean out of my ear and it came out. But later that night, I went on Jimmy Kimmel, did the trick, did it successfully and uh, I got a great reaction. But yeah, things go wrong all the could time. Could you not just put it in the other ear? I could. Like, Look, then I that out tomorrow. Just use that yeah, I could have done that, but I was frightened. I didn't know what was going on with this ear with the black eyed bean. And did you give the sale a thousand quid? Oh yeah, yeah. So I forgot. Yeah, yeah, I forgot the end of that story. So I just passed out and stayed. I was puking on myself, inhaling puke, all the rest of it. The shutter came down, and the two guys they came back to the stage door in the Olympia. Ding dong, and Noel, the promoter, answered the door, and there was the two lads going, "Where's our grand?" And he went and got the cash and paid them a grand each. Yeah. So yeah, playing hell. Uh, just before I finish up, real quick, Keith, who like. David Blaine, you, Dan Brown, all these, mm. like, you are big, big worldwide names, yeah? 
where are you was all like are you was all in like a WhatsApp group teaching each other <laughs> like little tricks of the trade or what? Like how do you get to where you are? Yeah, it's from good. a magic set to this. Yeah, it's a good question. Like, so I've never really had any mentors besides Tony Sadaro I mentioned. So for me, I'm just self-taught. But look, you know, I've never met Darren actually, instead, you know, but I, like I've made, met David Copperfield. I know David Blaine quite well. And I think it's like playing the guitar, right? You learn the strings on the guitar, you learn a bit of music, and then you start to make your own music, right? So I think in our world, once you know enough techniques and you know enough secrets, and you've kind of invested your time and your research, then you can make your own magic, make your own mentalism, make your own brain hack. Yeah. So for me, I take inspiration from everywhere. So for example, this new show, Mind Games, I literally just think of what games did I play as a kid? How can I turn them into mind games? What games would be interesting to play with an audience on stage? So for example, like in Mind Games, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to get skeptics involved? So I thought, okay, what could I do with skeptics? What game could I play? And I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to gamble 15,000 euros every night and the, so the, here's the game that I play on stage every night. I gamble for real now, 15,000 euros every night in mind games that if I can't influence a skeptic, so in other words, influence their decision making, they will get 15 grand. So I have a challenge. Years ago, it was only a grand each. Now it's up to 15 <laughs> grand, <no> right? <laughs> uh, but it's up to 15 grand. There's a gameplay that happens in it. So you'd have to come to the show to see it. I'll be the skeptic because I'm a big, huge skeptic here. Yeah. Well, you'll have to come. come yeah, well, Grant, put me in for the skeptic. I'll yeah. try now. We'll have 15 grand. But in the day, gosh. But yes, look, all the dates for that, by the way, are on keithbarry.com, if I didn't mention it before. But ultimately, I love that skeptic gameplay and I've lost cash along the way. So I've, I've done 11 mind games so far. You'd be glad to know I lost the cash in a Dublin-based venue, the Helix. I'd never played it before. So I lost some cash there that night. I think I was lost 250 quid, but it can be up to 15 grand depending on what happens in the gameplay. So I love stuff like that. But again, I take inspiration from everywhere. I always come up with the title of the show first. So that's what I now do. And then I write the material and then come up with the kind of the tricks. So years before, I'd come up with a trick and try and hack that into a show. Mm. Whereas, but here's the interesting thing, I don't rehearse. So like all the top comedians in Ireland, they think I'm mad like, because they go in quietly into the comedy club and they might do a 10 minute set of new yeah. material breaking what in. What works and what doesn't. Yeah, so I just write it. I get my team together. We get into a room just to make sure all the props work. We kind of block out for camera because very often I'll use a camera, we'll project it up onto a screen. And once we do that, we just go live and open the night. Well, I love that energy, though. Well, I love the madness of not testing material. Mm. And I always say to people, no matter what you do, push to failure. So I say this to my own kids. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. You only know you've worked hard enough when you fail. So I think failure is a good thing. Once you learn fast from it, don't dwell on it and then move on. So I always say, like, don't just forget the failure. Learn from it first, then forget about it, and then move on fast and then push it to the back of your mind. And that for me has been kind of to loop back to what you've asked is the key to my success. And I remember you mentioned like, you know, if we think about celebrities like Will Smith, we talked about him earlier. So I remember seeing a quote of his and it was back when he was just a rapper. He wasn't even an actor. And they said to him, what's the secret to your success? And I remember this is when all the other rappers are in bed, I'm up practicing my rapping. And I think part of my secret to my success is I outwork everyone. Like nobody really knows that, but I outwork everyone. So in other words, when I say I outwork everyone, I mean like an insane work ethic. So I could be up till two o'clock in the morning working and then I'll get back up. Like I used, to, I used to survive on four or five hours sleep. I know now I'm writing a book on sleep. That's not the right thing to do, right? So now I tend to go, if I stay up till two, I definitely get six hours sleep. So two to eight. And then again, you know, just always making sure I have time for my family first, but then mad work ethic. And then always coming up with something new. 
you know i always like being a chameleon i like to surprise an audience sometimes it's magic these days it's not it's more brain hacking who knows next year it could be hypnosis again i don't know mm. like but i just like the journey you know all right yeah. all right like fair it. enough keith fair enough some mind games january yeah january so uh i'm just doing langton's in kilkenny doing the borgosh theater all in waterford and i'm doing the maritime hotel in bantry i think it's on sale now yeah they're on sale right now they're selling that very fast as they say thank yeah. god so touch wood might put a few extra dates on i'm not sure yet yeah uh, because i'm busy and my next project i have to go fishing now but the next project is you we're getting you off the cigarettes and i'm commit right. I'm, I'm actually committing to doing that here today right, right. To that one you guys have his word on it yeah yeah right. don't see what happens <laughs> <laughs> no no not see what happens you're now going to become a permanent non-smoker <laughs> well I know somebody who uh, got hypnotised to go up the smokes over two months ago. It's working well for him. So. Well, interestingly, most people who have sent... Now, uh, my mentor, Tony Sadar, still working out of his house in Cabin Teal. He's got a, an office at the side of his house. Amazing person. He's got more people off the cigarettes than anyone that I know. I remember sending a guy, Richard. I can't remember Richard's last name. I know he won't let me share it. He used to own and run Buck Whaley's. He was on 60 cigarettes a day. So he's on 60 and uh, went out and... One session with Tony, never smoked another cigarette in his life. So there you go. That's something going on. See, I think this fella is stubborn and he likes to challenge. He'd be like, look, Keith Barry had a high success right until he met oh, me. I actually, <laughs> can't move me, yeah. yeah when's no. the last time you visualised your own funeral? <laughs> <laughs> All the time, Keith, it was close, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> right, wrap it up, is it? Yeah, we'll wrap this one up. Keith, thanks very much for coming. Uh, thanks for having me, lads. It was very in-depth. Take us out there, Alan. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it Just a little more Oh, you're waiting it now Fill your body again Walk it high and low When you finish that The Hip Knocker Come down, come down.